verse 18. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. A very, very warm welcome to you here at Reality Church London. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Bijan, a pastor for our church. And let's pray as we prepare to look at this passage from God's word. Our God, now with Bibles open before us, we ask and we pray that you would open our hearts to receive and to experience your truth this morning. Many of us have had great weeks. Others of us have had terrible weeks. They've been emotionally and physically and socially draining. And whether we've had a great week or a hard week or a little of both, we gather today because we need you. Some of us know we need you, others don't. But that is the truth. We need you. We're made for you. And so we ask now as we spend time looking at your word that you would speak to us, that you would transform us, that you would lift us, and that you would heal us, and that you would give us a clearer glimpse of Jesus Christ, who he is, and all that he's done. So be with us now during this time. We pray all this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this autumn here at Reality Church London, we've been in the midst of a series of sermons looking at our church's vision and values. Each week as we gather, we're looking at passages of the Bible that animate and shape our church as we seek to love and serve our city. And for the past few weeks, we've been looking at our value of following Jesus every day, that we're a church passionate about following Jesus not one day a week, but every day of the week. Not just when we come here, but everywhere in this city, in every part of our life. And so we've been talking about what it means to follow Jesus. Now, that phrase, follow Jesus, is the same as the term discipleship. To follow Jesus is to be his disciple. And in Luke chapter 9, the passage that Pastor Andrew just read, we learn from Jesus himself about discipleship. In fact, this might be, Luke 9, the best place to go in the Bible if you want to learn about what it means to be Jesus' disciple. And what we're going to learn today is following Jesus or being his disciple does not mean only that you know more things about him, but that you actually walk with him, even through suffering and hardship. Being Jesus' disciple is not just knowledge, but it's experience. It's walking with Jesus like a friend. And so, as we consider that today, 
please know that if you're here today and you're not sure what you believe, you don't identify as a Christian, maybe this is your first time at church, this is a great passage for you to be exploring. Because from the mouth of Jesus himself, you get to learn what following him would mean as you investigate and explore the claims of Christianity. For others of you, you are Christians and you've been a part of this church or a church for a long time. My hope and prayer for you this morning is that this passage is like a cup of cold water, refreshing us and maybe challenging us as to what discipleship is. And so, let's look at these verses, and as we do so, we're going to see where discipleship starts, how discipleship is hard, and what makes discipleship possible. So where discipleship starts, why discipleship is hard, and how discipleship can be possible. So first, where does discipleship start? And discipleship starts where this passage starts, recognizing who Jesus Christ is. That's where discipleship always begins, seeing Jesus. The passage begins with a question. Jesus is talking to his friends, and he says, who do the crowds say that I am? If Jesus were speaking today, he might ask the question this way, how am I trending on Twitter? I mean, he's asking his disciples, what is everybody saying about me? And the disciples give answers. They say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, others a prophet or one of the religious leaders from the past. And so the disciples are giving the survey of what people in the world think about Jesus. But then Jesus comes back to them in verse 20. And he looks at them and he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Now that's the most important question in the history of the universe. And it's actually a question that every person is answering every day. God asks you today, who do you say that Jesus Christ is? That's the most important question that could ever be pressed to you. And you give an answer to that question every moment of every day with how you live and what you believe. Who do you say that Jesus is? Well, as Jesus asked that question to his disciples, Peter, who was very verbal, he was a thinker out loud, replies, you're God's Messiah. God's Messiah. Now, that's quite a statement from Peter to make because for a first century Jewish person, which Peter was, Messiah was a loaded term. Messiah was the one that everyone was waiting for. It was the long-expected deliverer and savior of God's people. It was like Moses or David in the past, the one who would bring God's people into freedom. And so for Peter to say to Jesus, you are God's Messiah, was a bold claim. It was to give Jesus honor and praise. So it's stunning that as soon as Peter says, you're God's Messiah, look at how Jesus responds. Verse 21, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. I hear that and I'm taken aback. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the one that everybody's been waiting for. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Keep that to yourself. Why is it that Jesus, upon Peter recognizing who Jesus is, would say, don't talk about it? Well, here's why. In the first century, everyone was waiting for a Messiah. But the way that everybody thought about who the Messiah was 
was a military and political leader. You see, at this time, God's people were living under oppression. The Roman Empire was dominating the world. And so they subjugated the people of Israel. The people of Israel were living under military and political occupation. And so they believed and they hoped that one day God would send a Messiah, a deliverer, to do what? To liberate them from Rome, to throw off the yoke of their oppressors, and to bring in freedom and peace. And so when Peter says, you're God's Messiah, what Peter means is, you're the one who's going to help us overthrow Rome. You're the one that's going to bring freedom to us as a people, militarily and politically. And Jesus says, yeah, don't tell anybody that. Because it's true that I'm the Messiah, but I'm not the Messiah in the way you think I am. I'm not the Messiah you expect, but I am the Messiah you need. And discipleship always starts with recognizing who Jesus is, not who we think he is or want him to be. And what you learn from this passage is truly following Jesus means accepting who he is on his own terms and not the Jesus of our imagination. You see, Peter and the disciples thought they knew what they needed. And they said, you're the one that can help us get what we want. And how easy is it for all of us to actually think that we're following Jesus, but what we're really doing is using him as a tool to achieve our own ends. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow him, you've got to know who I really am. So when Peter makes this great declaration, you're God's Messiah, Jesus says, yeah, let's not talk about that yet. But then Jesus defines for them what it means that he's the Messiah. And he goes on to say in verse 22, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. I have to tell you how stunning that would have sounded to Peter. He says, you're the Messiah, you're our liberator, you're the conqueror, you're the one who has the power to overthrow Rome. And Jesus says, actually, here's the kind of Messiah that I am. I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to be killed. And then I'm going to rise from the dead. And if Jesus would have said that, Peter, in listening, would have not been able to compute what he was hearing. He had no category for a suffering Messiah. And yet this is the way of Jesus. The way Jesus accomplishes his victory, the way Jesus brings about his kingdom is not through the exercise of strength and dominance, but service and humility. The way of Jesus is an upside-down kingdom. One author puts it this way. In the way of Jesus, the use of power is forsaken for the way of humility. The road of glory runs through the cross. Jesus is a mix of strength and weakness. His disciples need to see all of it and to understand this must be, that by dying, we meet life. That's the way of Jesus. He came not to conquer, but to be conquered. He came not bearing a sword, but being pierced by one. The way of strength is the way of weakness. The way to glory is through humility. And Jesus says, if you want to know who I am, if you're really going to follow me, you have to see me as this surprising mix of strength and weakness. And you need to see me on my own terms and not in the ways you always hoped I might be. 
or in the things that you always imagined you needed. And so the first question for us today is, who do you say Jesus is? Are you encountering or following a Jesus of your own making or the one that challenges us on the pages of scripture? Who do you say that Jesus is? That's where discipleship starts. And that leads us now as we look at the rest of the passage to see that discipleship is often very hard. Sooner or later, anyone who follows Jesus will admit that sometimes and maybe a lot of times, following Jesus is difficult. It's hard to be a disciple. And I'd be so bold as to say, if following Jesus is never hard for you, it may be that you're not actually following him. And the reason for that is in our passage, verse 23. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Jesus does not say, do you want to follow me and be my disciple? Great, come to church on Sunday, give me an hour and a half of your week, or come to this class on a Wednesday night and we'll talk a little about it. Jesus says, do you want to be my disciple? I want you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. I want whole life surrender. I want all of you, every part of you, all the time. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor in Germany during World War II, when he thought about Christian discipleship, he said whenever Jesus calls somebody to follow him, he bids them come and die. The essence of Christian discipleship is self-denial. It's self-surrender. And that is a message that's very hard for us to stomach. As modern Western people, to even talk about self-denial can sometimes sound repressive and restricting, kind of primitive almost. And here is why. Many philosophers and sociologists say that to be a modern Western person in a city like London is to live in a culture that's best described with the term expressive individualism. Expressive individualism. Here's what that means. That as a society, people have become more inward focused than they've ever been. So the way that you find meaning and purpose and value in life is not by living the way other people tell you how to live or how politicians say you should live, but the way you find meaning and purpose is you look inside yourself. And whatever you see there, that's what you express and project to the world. And so you build an identity not based on any exterior norms, but on what you find when you look inside of your own self. Expressive individualism. And you can see how that message, if that's the cultural drinking water, is directly at odds with the message of Jesus. Because Jesus says, deny yourself. And our culture says, find yourself, be yourself. And these two messages butt heads. And you say, well, is that really the message of our culture? It is, and it's everywhere. It's so embedded that it may be hard for you to see. And if you want to get good glimpses of how this works in our culture, all you have to do is watch kid movies. I watch a lot of Frozen these days because I have a little daughter. And just think about Frozen as one example. Some of you will know if you've seen the film from the first movie that Queen Elsa towards the beginning of the movie, has a kind of midlife crisis. And here's what's happened. All her life, she struggled with who people say she should be 
and what she feels inside of her. She looks inside of her and she sees a kind of power and a kind of desire that doesn't really fit within her society. And so growing up, her parents say, conceal, don't feel, bury it, hide it. And eventually she explodes and she has this demonstration of who she is. And she goes off and she sings, let it go, let it go. And she says, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. And what's happened? Elsa's an expressive individualist. She's saying, no one else gets to tell me who I am or how to live. I've tried for so long to conceal and not feel, but now it's all about myself being expressed. And that's where she is in the beginning of the film. I call that pre-conversion Elsa. We're going to come back to this. But what is that? That narrative is just expressive individualism. It's a person being encouraged to look within and to find their own meaning. And it's everywhere. And when you take that cultural message and you put it up against Jesus Christ saying, deny yourself, you realize this is tough. Because all of us every day, yes, we might find within ourselves impulses to want to follow Jesus. But at the same time, we find things in our own hearts that contradict the message of Jesus. And we find ourselves realizing discipleship is hard because it means a denying of self. It means surrendering what we think we want and who we think we are and denying self for the service of God and the good of others. That's the message of Jesus. And let me just say before we move on from this point that in a culture that says find yourself and be yourself, Jesus offers really good news. Here's why. Our culture, as we've seen looking at Elsa, and you can think of your own examples, our culture says, find yourself and be yourself. But actually, our culture does not give us the tools we need to do that. So I'll give you a silly and a serious example. When I look inside myself, this is the silly one, when I look inside myself, I see two desires. One is to be healthy and in good shape, and the other is to eat a lot of ice cream. Now, those two desires are real inside of me. And sometimes one is stronger than the other. Oftentimes, the ice cream one is pretty strong. So when I look inside myself and I see those two competing desires, here's the question. Which is the real me? Which is the real Bijan? Here's another more serious example. Some of you desire to have a really good work-life balance. You want to work, but you want to rest. You want to have a good social life. You want to, if you have a family, devote time as a spouse or with your kids. So you want to have, on one hand, a good work-life balance, but on the other hand, you want to crush it at your job. You want to achieve. You want to climb the ladder. You want to be successful and have the best possible reputation. That, by the way, is a good desire. And so, as you can imagine, sometimes that desire for a good work-life balance and the desire to be awesome in your job, sometimes those desires become competitive and contradictory. In those moments, where's the real you? Who is the true you? Which desire are you going to give into? In other words, our culture says, find yourself and be yourself, but it doesn't give us the tools we need to do that. But Jesus Christ does. Look back at our passage. In verse 24, Jesus tells us, do you want to know how to really find your life? 
Do you want to know the real path to self-discovery? Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. And that for me is everything. According to Jesus, self-denial, it's not self-hatred, it's not self-loathing, it's self-forgetfulness. It's learning to think of yourself less. Self-denial, according to Jesus, is surrendering to God and giving yourself away in service of others. And that, Jesus says, is how you find the real you. Self-discovery is found in looking at self less and looking at God more. That's the pathway to life. That's the pathway to joy. And Jesus says that is the essence of discipleship. Not self-hatred, not self-loathing. That's not what self-denial means. But learning to think of yourself less as you surrender to God and to the good of others. Self-denial, the essence of discipleship, but the reason it's so hard. So that leads us finally to ask, well, then how is discipleship possible? Or another way to ask the question, how can we learn to deny ourselves as we follow Jesus? How can that be possible? And here's the answer. You have to put yourself in the way of beauty. You have to put yourself in the way of beauty. Have you ever noticed how beauty decenters the self? If you're ever in the presence of a beautiful painting or listening to a great piece of music, you don't say to yourself, wow, I'm really awesome. Like, I am so great. When you're in the presence of great beauty, you don't even think about yourself. You forget about yourself. And it's not just something aesthetically beautiful. You can be walking in the park watching a child try to catch falling leaves or sitting and having a meal with friends and you lose not only all sense of time, but you forget about the things that were burdening you before you walked into the restaurant. You see, beauty, whether it's looking at something beautiful or experiencing a beautiful moment, beauty lifts us up out of ourselves. It decenters the self. That's self-denial. It's not by trying hard to make yourself nothing. It's just looking at something beautiful and self ceases to become the most important thing. The way to self-denial is to put yourself in the way of beauty. And so the question is, is there a beauty? Is there something in this world that's so captivating and stunning and brilliant that if you see it, it'll lift you out of yourself and bring about true self-denial? Is there a beauty big enough to fulfill and heal the soul? And the answer is yes. It's the beauty of Jesus Christ. It's the beauty of Jesus Christ. In verse 24 of our passage, Jesus, again, we read it earlier, but I'll read it again. He says, whoever saves their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. That's a pretty bold thing for Jesus to say. If you want life, you've got to give away yours to me, Jesus declares. But he's the only one who can say it because he's the one who already did it. Jesus already gave up his life for you. And so he invites you to surrender everything to him. Look at verse 25. Jesus says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and to lose or forfeit their very self? And you say, it's not very good at all. What would be the value of him? owning all the world's best paintings if you couldn't see. Jesus says, if you have the whole world, but you lose your soul, what value is it? 
But it's stunning for Jesus to make that declaration because think about it, he was the one who had the whole world. He had the whole universe. He was the one with all power and all glory. And yet Jesus is an act of love and and grace comes down to earth, takes on the form of a human being. And in going to the cross and actually taking up his own cross and denying his very self, he lays down his life in sacrifice. He dies in place of his people. He takes your spot. He becomes your substitute. And so where you deserved judgment and alienation and separation from God, Jesus became that. He takes all of it so that you can receive grace and mercy and forgiveness. Jesus becomes your hero. He becomes your savior. He becomes your substitute. There's no beauty like that. There's no beauty like that of sacrificial love. Go back to Frozen. Elsa, as we've said, looks inside, she finds herself. And when she expresses that self, you know what happens? She crushes everybody. She literally makes her whole world a dark and cold winter. And everyone suffers because of it. And that's how Elsa's story goes until when? Until her sister, Anna, in an act of total humility and love and sacrifice, lays down her life to save Elsa. And in that moment, Elsa realizes she's had it all wrong. The way to actually see healing and to discover who I am is not in self-realization, it's in self-sacrifice. And Anna's act of pure love and sacrifice lifts Elsa out of herself and she realizes, oh, it's love that thaws a frozen heart. Love is the answer. Love is the key. Sacrificial love for the sake and for the good of others. And friends, let me tell you, Jesus Christ is the ultimate Anna. He is the ultimate Anna. He is the one who through his pure sacrificial love is the most beautiful thing in the whole universe. And if you see that, when you see Jesus dying for you, suffering, rejected, and rising, then self-denial becomes delight, not duty. You say, of course I can give up everything for him. Look at what he's done for me. And the pathway of discipleship, yeah, it's still hard, but it's also the most logical thing in the world. Because how would we not surrender to the one who gave up all for us? Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. I'm with you. And the call to discipleship is to follow not just a master, but a friend who's walked this very road and invites us to follow him in the pathway of self-denial, which leads to the abundance of life. Let's pray that God will help us do that as we come now to his table. Our God, we thank you for meeting us in your word this morning. And we pray now as we come to our time of celebrating the supper and responding to you in song, that you would take all these words that have been spoken and by the power of your spirit, you'd bring transformation. We want to be changed. We want to see Jesus more clearly and we want to honor you. We want to live for you. We want to help others know you. So help us to do this now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.